When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we return after yet another double game week ends out. There have been so many, a slew of double game weeks that, yeah, I'm getting double game week fatigue. I never thought I'd say that. I think I said this last pod as well. That is how fatigued I am of double game weeks. Yeah, so many. Anyway, all three of us back for a yearly favourite this week, particularly your favourite, Nick. You're all right. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm all right, thank you. I was, was going to say it's, it's the worst wild card ever, but managed to get bailed out by the Leeds guys massively tonight. Yeah, and we're also doing our annual risk profiling, so focusing on the positives. Very excited about that. Um, of course, we are who got the assist. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at WGTA underscore FPL for Tom's our main account at WGTA underscore Nick for myself and at FPL Stag for Ampli. And also join our mini league if you haven't already. The code is CPSUOF. So yeah, we're joined by Anthony FPL Stag. How are you today? Evening, lads. Good to be back again. Yeah, the, the risk profile part, it was definitely one of the really enjoyable ones and one that a lot of people got into last year. So it's nice to be able to bring it back again. This is the third year, I think, of the risk profile part, or certainly the third year where we've been able to involve the Twitter polls going through us. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So the main section of this part is going to be looking at those risk profiles that we've identified and your uh, responses to that particular Twitter poll that Tom put out. We'll also offer our usual standard listeners' questions, which are obviously focusing on the upcoming double game week, and the correspondence section is indeed here for this episode too. First of all, though, we're going to have the game week reviews and the market forces. I've got loads of 71 in my wildcards. I'm counting as a qualified success just because I got 48 on my last wildcard. It is a small, I think it's like a grey arrow, basically. Um, it's just I think, I think I might have dropped 2k or something like that it's a bit it's a bit annoying but I mean I went banned for captain Rafinha you know usual stuff basically happened in terms of the outcome this week and that the one thing I didn't want to happen did which was Dallas scoring and that was the only player I was really exposed to and guess what he went ahead and scored brilliant um it's happened for weeks on end now you know James Justin the likes of him scoring or hauling the likes of Somlin and him hauling it's felt a bit cruel recently but there we go. I mean, I was on a high on the Saturday after the likes of, you know, Ola Aina, who premed on my wild cards. He got an eight point. That was nice. And um, the double kit City clean sheet in Cancelo and Diaz, obviously. Oh, if Cancelo had scored that, that would have been amazing. Um, we had Bamford only getting in, only getting eight, and everyone captained him, so it doesn't matter really, does it? Uh, but yeah, um, Dallas was the only one that I decided on my wild card. Yeah, I'm not going to go with him because I'll need to get 
take like a minus four or a minus eight to remove him, Rafinha and Bamford to get double game weekers in. Um, and that one decision has uh, cost me a lot of points. But I'm going to start off next week anyway. I think I've got 14, I'll have 14 double game weekers once I've done my moves, I'll spend later on. Nick, I think you're next up. Well, he's outscored you by a point in the end, but which I'm surprised about. To be honest, like it was a bit of a complete utter disaster. I was on 45 points prior to tonight's game. I was looking at another massive red arrow dropping another 50k in overall rank just completely falling by the wayside uh, prior to tonight my only player that had actually got me any points was Bruno Fernandes um, and his points didn't actually help my team because of his effective ownership it actually damaged my rank so literally every single player has blanked and you know like so Rudiger, Shaw, all blanking Salazar, Watkins, Kane um, McCarthy in goal it, it was a complete and utter shambles Rafinha managed to pick up two bonus um, but yeah he really deserved an assist or a goal of some form against Wolves it's just really unlucky but nice to at least get something from him and then tonight's game was just really really good to be honest like got me back into FPL after a little bit of a really rough patch so all three of my players scored which is lovely to see uh, Dallas in defence Rafinha in midfield and the captain Bamford um, returning as well so 27 points from tonight's games um, McCarthy even managed to get a save point somehow. Um, don't know what he's doing there, but he outscored Martinez at least. So that decision in goal was justified, uh, that risky decision ultimately. But yeah, 72 points. It is a red arrow. I've, I've dropped to my lowest rank since game week eight. But, you know, move on to the double game week, as Tom said. Things have turned around a little bit um, in the past few weeks. I've kind of, I've definitely had, I started with the trough, had a bit of a peak, troughed a little in the last, maybe in five weeks and then, the last two have kind of pulled me up nicely again. So this week, actually, I had 95 gross, 91 um, when you took my hit into account. So I had transferred out Suchek and DCL. And in a bid to cover the double game week, I had brought in Bamford and Rafinha, captain to Bamford, which obviously went quite well. Um, so but I had the same trio that you did, who all scored tonight, being Dallas, Rafinha and Bamford. Uh, Vardy I had up top with an assist. Fernandez, who of course hurt me with his 12-pointer, but still within my side. Salah Gundogan, uh, then the two clean sheets from Diaz and Cancelo. Pity he didn't score it. And then I actually played Johnston um, as my goalkeeper ahead of Emmy Martinez, which uh, was a five-point or yeah, five-point profit. And I think actually ultimately one of the most um, important players in my whole side was actually having James Tarkowski's nine points, which were definitely kind of a differential set of points in the midst of a game week where a lot of players had the same sides. So it uh, helped me to gain about what, 32% in my rank this week, uh, which is quite nice, up to my highest point so far this season, about 136k. So a five-figure rank is um, at least looking within my grasp. I'm 83 points off the top 10k, live FPL tells me. And with all my chips intact, I feel like that is still kind of the stated aim and I might as well chase it. But I will definitely feel quite exposed for this coming double game week, given that I won't have uh, even 11 double game weekers, I don't think. And I certainly won't be bench boosting. So uh, hopefully that doesn't lead to a slide because I've kind of enjoyed the bit of forward momentum in the last few weeks. But you're going to be using the last four chips in the last four game weeks, aren't you? You're wildcarding in game week 35, bench boosting in 36, triple caps in 37, free hitting in game week 38. You're going to be like, nope, no, I'm not doing anything. Nope. But you're going to be holding out for a greatly beautiful tomorrow the whole season. And no, like, oh, no, I'm definitely going to free hit for the blank. I'm definitely going to free hit for right. the blank. But okay, the rest excellent. of them, Tom, excellent. I don't know. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to fill your team with the likes of Banyang. Uh, the likes of uh, you know, the Brighton triple up is going to be there for you. 
Wow, what a useful free hit. Yeah, it's just such a pity we don't get expected <laughs> FPL points because, my God, those Brighton players would be great. Right, uh, Market Forces, Nick, uh, how is everyone responding uh, to that uh, mini double game week, as it were, ahead of the big double to come? Yeah, so everyone's preparing for the double game week and actually it's Harvey Barnes that has caught uh, the market's attention mostly with 342 transfers in, uh, 342,000 transfers in for him right now, which is um, quite a large number, but it's just because of his last couple of performances, which have been excellent. Picked up a goal and an assist against Aston Villa and the previous week, of course, he picked up a goal and an assist um, against Liverpool. So a couple of really good performances from Harvey um, he's relatively cheap still as well uh, at 6.9 million. And of course, Lee, um, of course, Leicester have a double game week ahead of themselves. Um, one game at home against Arsenal and also, sorry, and also an away fixture against Burnley. So a couple of nice fixtures there for, for Harvey. Um, definitely attracting the market's attention. One that I'm a little bit worried about not owning myself now. Otherwise, it's uh, Calvert-Lewin also getting a lot of transfers in. He's the second most transferred in player of 230,000 transfers in for him. Of course, he didn't actually start against Liverpool. He's been injured, but came off the bench for a cameo, 28 minutes and picked up an assist. And now um, looking real um, like a really good option, actually, for the double game week because um, Everton have a couple of really tasty fixtures, Southampton at home and West Brom away. So you can understand why so many people bringing him in. Otherwise... Few usual suspects um, that we've been talking about in the last few weeks. Kane, um, obviously, they've got quite a good double game week. Spurs with Burnley and Fulham looking at a potential captaincy option. Um, and Watkins as well, another one who blanked this week, unfortunately for me, but he came in on my wild card. And another one who also has a, um, a game in 29, which I think a lot of managers are looking um, towards as well as the double game week. So that's why a lot of tension for Spurs and Aston Villa. Um, but otherwise, the only other person heavily bought in, I guess, right now is, is uh, Ilkay Gundogan. Um, he also had a little bit of an injury as well, so a few people might have sold him, but um, he's back um, and played the 90 minutes against Arsenal, though he didn't return. Yeah, and then I guess looking at the transfers out here, seeing Jack Grealish by far leading the way there, with obviously a lot of those transfers going to Harvey Barnes. He's about 346,000 transfers out um, at this moment in time. He's followed up basically by a double game week forward exodus with both Bamford and Danny Ings being heavily sold with uh, the injured James Justin actually the fourth most sold player which is obviously a response to his injury a few game weeks ago people still getting around to getting him out of their sides yeah Ings had a bit of a disaster of a double game week didn't he and he's, he's being heavily sold looks like all the single game week forwards Bamford Ings and also Antonio all being sold and people getting in the likes of Calvert-Lewin the likes of Kane likes of Watkins so lots of people attacking the doubles there yep unsurprising with uh, this next double game week coming up uh, double game week 26 uh, the biggest double game week I think we've ever had according to Ben Crelin talk about that in the questions later on uh, the first thing though this week is the main topic which is risk profiles to start off there's a certain number of core decisions we make per year every year we have 37 free transfers we choose 15 starting players we choose two wild cards, I think 30 decisions in that. We choose 15 players in a free hit. We choose to, if we do want to do it, um, use triple captain once, bench boost once. We choose 38 captains. We choose 38 vices. We choose one free hit, I guess. And we have 38 times four bench choices, which leads us to you know, 327 core decisions per year. Hmm. That's a meandering way of saying that we're talking about hits today because the hits are voluntary actions we take on top of those sort of core decisions that we make. Before you say 
sometimes there are things which compare you to take a hit. So they're removing injured players. So it's not voluntary. They still constitute a choice. So you can, of course, you know, let's do nothing if the player's injured. This pod isn't about doing nothing, really. It's about looking at those hits, no matter whether they're elective. So you've chosen to do it despite no injuries are enforced, um, as for the prior example, having a player injured, and using them as a barometer for your risk profile. What sort of risk appetite do you have as manager? And what can you learn from all that? We've also, as Anthony mentioned earlier, have uh, three years' worth of poll data to examine, along with lots of anecdotes from Twitter. So, risk profiles. Nick, what are these? Just have to say I enjoyed your um, FPL version of train spotting just there with all the choosing and choices that you have to make uh, but, i'm glad you got the reference <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um risk profiles so i guess this is as we said this is something we covered annually so few people perhaps have heard the uh, the speech before so apologies to some of our hardcore listeners if this is something you've heard before but to essentially surmise risk profiling is something that you know brokers will, will do when they've got an investor who's looking for advice or what stocks and shares to buy um, very common in financial services now um, a lot of people perhaps these days don't use brokers but they might use um, you know robo advice platforms so firms like nutmeg that are growing increasingly in popularity which kind of just give you electronic advice based on a questionnaire um, which you would ask so you know essentially be asked a series of questions about yourself, about your personality a little bit, and just about your sort of financial choices. And on that basis, the company will essentially determine a risk profile and give you suggestions on, on what stocks to buy. Uh, so someone who's perhaps deemed to be a particularly cautious investor, wanting to sort of avoid risk or dangerous scenarios, wants to be very careful with their money and make sure it's safe, it would perhaps be recommended to invest in a sort of a safer fund, such as cash ISA. Alternatively, if you're kind of like a risk taker, you kind of got a bit more of a you know aggressive personality in terms of your money you want to kind of shoot towards the moon as, as they say you might be recommended like something a bit more volatile sort of a high risk high reward like cryptocurrency like bitcoin or even like dogecoin or something like that or if you're an idiot like me you might end up putting your money in a gambling stroke stock market like the football index just to kind of you know take some gambles with your money and, and see what happens and hope to to make a little bit of cash but obviously you know the risk is that you might lose it all so we've, we've kind of been applying that to um fpl over the past few years i guess to just determine what type of risk taker you are and, and we've come up with uh, four specific categories which um, we've also polled online as well yeah so those four categories are Thus, you have your cautious risk takers. So those are people who've taken between in FPL zero to four hits. So that's costing them between zero and 16 points. Then you've got your moderate risk takers who have taken between five and eight hits at this point in the season, costing them between 20 and 32 points. Uh, Then you've got your more aggressive risk takers who've taken nine to 14 hits. So that's 36 to 56 points spent. That's pretty substantial. And then you've got your extreme risk takers who've taken over 15 hits so far this season. So they've spent over 60 points on hits so far this term. So this season, we are obviously polling as we enter game week 26. In previous seasons, we've been polling entering game week 23. Obviously, the calendar year and everything is slightly changed, uh, given that this season started late. But anyhow, this data still is quite interesting. We've got 3,000-ish people who've responded, and thanks so much to everyone who got in touch to it. So zero, between zero and four hits are cautious people. We are cautious risk takers. We have only 29.8% of respondents say that they've taken less than 16 points worth of hits. Uh, bet- between five and eight hits are more moderate risk takers. We've those. There's 
7% of those who responded. Those who fall into the more aggressive category, 9 to 14 hits, 24% respondents, so about a quarter. And over 15 hits, so 60 points burnt, 13.5% of people. So I guess more broadly, this means that just over 60% of people, I would say, are risk averse. They fall into our cautious or moderate categories. And 37.5% uh, are more into their risk with 13.5% obviously in that extreme category. Um, obviously, what makes maybe this season different to other seasons is that we have had a big blank game week. We've had quite a few doubles and there's been a little more time as well, given that we're polling entering 26 instead of entering 23 um, as per other seasons. However, it is still quite instructive to compare two previous seasons. So, for example, last season, 2019-20, so this was something taken, a poll taken in about January 2020, pre-pandemic, 75% uh, of people fell into the uh, cautious and moderate category. Um, whereas um, the previous season, previous January, entering Game Week 23 as well, it was 74%-ish fell into the cautious or moderate category. I think, though, what's more instructive is that the majority in both of those seasons actually fell into the zero to four hits. So uh, last season, it was about 60%, and the season before that, it was about 42%. Whilst, of course, say, it's only 30% of people have fallen into the category this year. So what we're seeing is generally a shift towards more risk-taking this season, which is quite interesting. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the first year, as you said, that five to eight hits or 20 to 32 points burnt category has come out on top. Um, almost a third of respondents said that. Um, we've got yeah about 3,000 people each time have gotten back to us. So there's a substantial sort of barometer of how the FPL community kind of gets on and perceives the things. As Anthony has said, there's been a real shift um, towards being more accepting of hits, I think, this year. Um, whereas before, we tend to see a bit of kind of small C conservatism around kind of points, especially last year when things were normal, as it were. Um, this year, because of the craziness of everything, it appears that people are kind of more likely to think, oh, well, you know, screw it. Why not? <laughs> Effectively. And I think that was definitely something that came out in the categories, especially when we asked people to kind of write in and tell us, you know, if there's any thinking behind the approach in terms of the number of hits they've taken. Um, starting off with the cautious risk take, I mean, these people have, you know, historically been the bulk of people responding and writing into us, as Anthony mentioned. Um, this year, 30% near enough. Last year, 59%. The year before that, 43%. Um, so, you know, this has almost halved, in fact, the number of people who have said that they're, they've been very conservative this year few people who responded saying they were this and wrote into us Andy Rayner he said you need six points to break even even if you're swapping out and expect a two-pointer he calls that high risk so he says he only takes injuries when they force his hand he's taken three hits so far uh, Paul Skyplayer in FBL says he's just taken four hits three of them have come in double game weeks to help him with chip usage and he's uh well now in the top 1000 and Amazingly, FPL Biscuits uh, said he's taken no hits so far because he finds them so hard to justify. He's been tempted a few times, um, but he's only taking his first, for example, this week for the big double. Um, he's at the moment 57k with all chips to play. And finally, FPL Dabby said he set up a strategy to make as few hits as possible this season, has only taken three, and he says it's largely worked. And he always asks himself, you know, can it wait a week? Nine out of ten times, he has waited a week, and things have kind of you know, changed for him. So he didn't want the player so much. He was thinking of getting in or another option has presented itself. I think that historically, this has been the one that, you know, we've seen most people respond back to say, you know, I'm quite cautious with hits. I mean, is this something that aligns with your sort of more, uh, more cautious approach that we've espoused in the past? Yeah, I haven't actually fallen into this category this year. I have fallen into the 
the moderate risk taker. But but certainly we, we see a lot of managers actually who who do fall into this category. I remember seeing it quite a lot last year and also, you know, the likes of Paul, who you mentioned, has got an excellent overall rank, um, you know, not taking very, you know, taking very few hits. And often it's because, you know, they, they, they might have picked that solid team right at the start of the season and just not had to make those changes. You know, they've, they've been quite lucky, perhaps to a certain extent with injuries and things like that. But, you know, these, these types of managers, I guess, you know, they, they own Bruno Fernandes, sell him they, they might own the likes of Mo Salah or Patrick Bamford who's probably been there since week one there's just no necessity perhaps to sell these guys these these types of managers just play it quite safe as, as we said small c conservative quite cautious risk takers no need to make a move you know if you don't have to avoid those minus fours because with the minus four you're always kind of chasing and if you've got the right players in, in the right place at the right time then it's brilliant the thing that most of us FPL uh, commentators, whatever you want to say, ascribe us to be, would recommend avoiding hits if at all possible. And yet this season has definitely been a season where I think like the community, I think even the most uh, risk averse uh, of FPL managers could find themselves not falling into this cautious risk taker category. Uh, and that does make sense to me. And I commend those who've managed to uh, hold themselves together to not do it so far. Like there's as we were talking about when we were going through the percentages, like the fact that we have about half as many people falling into this category as in previous seasons, I think shows how different this season has been in its structure, though. Um, with the big blank game week that we've already had, I think that could have accounted for, you know, minus fours and minus eights and an awful lot of teams by itself. Uh, the doubles that you would have just felt maybe you needed to get that third Leeds player in quick and you brought them in or you might have taken a risk on Ings we've had City double gamings as well that people felt they had to respond to so it was so easy to not fall into this category so it's testament to very kind of prudent management and proactive management that people managed to not fall into that category um, if they were in there but of course it was a smaller number than we're used to seeing yeah, I mean, this is, uh, as, as Nick kind of intimated, the long-term investor sort of uh, perspective people in this category, people who are incredibly cautious, uh, people who are kind of carefully managing their way out of situations, you know, sometimes perhaps fielding 10 men rather than taking a minus four, the sort of person who's happy to have two or three injured players and a couple of suboptimal players because at the end of the day, they think that, that those players potentially getting one or two, potentially getting you know, a, a lucky assist, something like that is better than taking a minus four. Um, I salute people like this. I wish I was like that, but I, I just can't do it. Basically, I, I, I feel like um, every year we do this, I'm just like, oh, I really wish I was in this category, but I'm not. I'm really not. Uh, let's move on to the moderate risk takers then. Um, so these are people who are a tiny bit more risky uh, than our ultra conservative individuals. Again, small C, doesn't offend anybody. Um, and these people are um, people who have made five to eight hits so far. So they've burnt 20 to 32 points. Um, a few anecdotes, I suppose, from social media here. So General Zod, he says he's taken seven so far. He's taken a little more than normal and he's taken that to get ahead of, ahead of the curve. He, says, he said he's got quite a healthy rank, um, but the effect has plateaued rather than actually giving him the boost. Uh, James Keatley, um, he said he's taken um, six. Um, he said it seems this season more than ever is one to do it. FPL Luck says he's taken seven hits. He says generally he takes very few hits during the course of the season because they can bite you on the arse, like swapping premium players over. And finally, at Permacap, Moon says he's taken nine hits and he's just been a bit forced by the many doubles and the chaotic nature of the season. Uh, but he's doing all right. He's at 80k. Now, I think what's really interesting reading through uh, the 
category um, of people who said that they were in this section, for example, our friend Jeff Pedder is also in here. Um, they all kind of said, well, normally I don't take that many. But this season specifically has been the one uh, which has made them think, yeah, you know, I've got to get ahead of the curve. I've got to do something um, in order to just navigate the situation better. And in contrast to the, the ultra cautious, I guess, they've been more likely to, in a qualified way, throw caution to the wind, haven't they? So I've fallen into this category myself. I've actually at the higher end of this category. So I've taken 32 points worth of hits. So I've only just in it this year. I've also taken a, a minus eight and I, I just had a quick look to see what the context of that minus eight was. And it was um, to get in Manchester City players for a double game week. And of course, this was brought on by COVID-19 cancellations and, and all of that carnage that we've kind of had this season, which makes this season very, very different to previous ones. So that particular week, I did get in De Bruyne and I did get in uh, Ruben Diaz for a double game week. And uh, Diaz in particular did excellently. I think he got an 18-pointer that particular week. So, you know, there is large upside sometimes in terms of taking risks my season actually as I said has been derailed a little bit but I haven't actually taken any hits in the last four game weeks obviously wild carded this week but other than that it just shows the benefit of the hit and you know it's not always about sticking with the cards you're dealt if there are problems you know there, there are great reasons to take those hits and I think you know managers perhaps you know in contrast to the the cautious and small c conservative risk takers the moderate risk takers are, are willing to take a few chances uh, compared to the cautious players who perhaps will, you know, stick with a player who's who's not performing for a few game weeks, you know, the likes of Mo Salah, they, they probably view this kind of guy as a season keeper, perhaps, whilst with the moderate risk takers, you know, they're a little bit more um, willing to rotate a little bit in that category. And I've, I've kind of fallen into that category a little bit this this season not always to my benefit but just it's just interesting to to note the the change in my sort of risk profile this season yeah so I find myself uh, similarly in this category actually although uh, unlike Nick I'm actually at the lower end of it and I wouldn't have qualified for it if we did this a week earlier I've taken uh, exactly five hits 20 uh, points spent and I've done that all with minus fours Um, one of those was in game week three and that was bringing in City players remember they blanked early on in the season um, whereas after that all of my hits were basically responding to blanks and doubles so blank game week 18 I took I took one hit there to bring in uh, the, uh, Diaz and Saka uh, I gained 10 points there for the double in 19 I brought in uh, Watkins and Salah I gained 12 from the transfers out at that particular time although you could argue that by bringing in Salah at that point who didn't score really in that week it was actually Watkins who did well, but Salah has been a long-term cost to my team, really. Um, double game week 24, I brought in Tarkovsky and Vardy. I gained 14 points on those that I'd sold out. And game week 25, I brought in uh, just for this week, obviously. Uh, it was Bamford and Rafinha who came in for the double with a gain of 15. So, like, every time I've done it for a blank or double, it's basically been to get players in for injured players or players who really weren't featuring. So, the, the gains are almost a little bit of a misnomer in that regard that I wasn't there weren't the riskiest of transfers in the overall scheme of things but I think that just shows you how the the risk baseline has actually come up that someone like me has ended up uh, taking five hits even though on what I felt were just all almost dead certs bringing in these players every single time and I still find myself in the moderate category as opposed to the cautious category when I would have probably considered myself in the cautious category so far this particular season I think that just shows you why we've seen that trend towards risk um, overall this year. 
you know, more problems equal more hits, uh, basically. I'm sure there's a rap sort of link I could have made there, but I, I didn't do that. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I think it's um, certainly the case. I think the, the vast body of the engaged manager community is going to be in this one, a case where you're using hits to a reasonable extent, uh, making kind of obvious changes, but using kind of extra hits to get ahead and, and uh, gain advantage. But what is quite interesting is that we've we've last season, for example, we would have seen uh, 26.2% of managers falling into this category. And the season before that, it was 31.7% of managers. So only a little bit less, but actually at an earlier time in the season, three game weeks earlier in the season. Um, whereas this year, obviously, as you said, it was 32.7%. So what you're actually seeing is that, okay, maybe in previous seasons, we found that quite a lot of people fell into this category as well. Whereas those that maybe were in this category in previous seasons, which was a substantial fraction, have now actually migrated further on Tom haven't they towards the aggressive yeah indeed so the aggressive uh, 90 14 hits which is shock horror is where I sit has actually exploded um, by more almost three times um, so this year 24% as Anthony mentioned earlier said that they'd taken between 9 and 14 hits so they'd burnt between 36 and 36 points this season last season that was 8.7% so yeah that's uh, almost three times as many people have said they're in, the ca- in this category year before that it was 16% um, so it does veer around a little bit you know there are a few people who wrote in here which was quite it was quite interesting to hear from other people who also fit this category uh bench boost fpl so he's taken 11 hits this season so far he said it doesn't tend to take many um he tends to be more risk averse well mate you're in the aggressive risk taker category uh, so if maybe a, for, a an example of somebody who's not who doesn't realize that as risky as they are uh, kitan chopra says uh, he doesn't normally take hits because he's stubborn uh, but he's taken nine so far so he is here uh, alan as well uh, fpl diagnosis said he he targeted the game week 16 wildcard from the start so he took a few hits in the beginning to kind of get himself there which kind of makes sense i think that maybe that's a factor as well in why people have taken more hits and there's that higher hit baseline as we've said because there are specific strategies did lend themselves to taking more hits and finally deepak says he's taken 40 points uh, worth of hits the season so far. He's playing on the minus eight for the double game, which take him to 48, but he's currently at 30k OR. So yeah, I guess it does work. Never let anyone tell you, as Andy FPL said, that there's more than one way to play the game. This is where I sit. I look, looked at my hits earlier on, and guess what? I actually gained from the hits I'd done this year. Hooray. Amazing. Yeah, my PL was plus 24 points, but that includes captain and triple captain points. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fudging it slightly, but Anthony's shaking his head. Those were realized points. I got those points on the board. Therefore, they make sense. Um, They're like so the Bruno Fernandez points. Are they? they are. They are. They, they, are, they occur, are. even I, though they hurt I, you. Yeah, I've shithoused my way into that positive. But basically, I, I thought they were worth counting. It, obviously, if I didn't count them, it's negative. Let me have this one, guys. Seriously, it's been a really hard day for me. Um, anyway, um, but this is equal to 13 hits in total um, that I've taken, 52 points burned. I've made 33 transfers in total. So 39% of my transfers this year have been hits. I've sold 139 points worth. That includes hits and players whose points I've sold and bought in 163 points. And overall, I've gained 203 points in transfers I've made. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, I've, I've taken hits on 10 separate occasions. I've gained on five. I've lost on five. I've sold two double-digit scorers in Vardy versus Brighton and Kevin De Bruyne versus Chelsea. And I've brought in three amazing double-digit players, not counting captains this time. The likes of Rob Holding, Game Week 10, Got a shithouse assist. He passed it sideways to Kieran Tierney. That's that's one double digit I got. Gundogan. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. That was the first time he got. And uh, Matt Loughton. Yeah, I, I I looked at him. I just thought, yeah, this guy is going to get me 
bare points. 17 points in double game 24. Yeah, so I've gotten very lucky this year in terms of that being a positive PL. It never normally is. Every year I look at this and think, oh, I could probably do better and probably be more conservative. Maybe I'm just too left wing. I definitely think it's been a little bit of fudging of the numbers there in terms of adding uh. the captains. I'll let you have this one um, today. Um, obviously, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see it, hear the uh, tidbits from all the guys who you kind of fall into this. Um, sort of strategy and then a few new entries by the sounds of things as well perhaps brought on again by this season and, and trying to adjust to the, the new doubles and blanks that have happened that we don't normally get sort of in the early stages of the season but yeah I think with these all risk takers they're not afraid of a minus eight that's, that's something scary I mean I always try and avoid a minus eight it's like the one thing I try and avoid all season if I can, unfortunately, was double that I did one this season. But, you know, with the with the sort of aggressive risk takers, they will aggressively target all the fixtures. You know, they're willing to gamble, I guess, on a few sort of more differential picks. You know, the likes of, you know, Sterling maybe or Mane or even Timo Werner, Marcus Rashford might come into the sides if they're looking sharp. Doesn't matter if they're not in the template. You know, these guys, you know, looking for those differentials, taking those risks. But, of course, a blank and they could easily be straight out of the sides. So it, it is quite interesting looking at those um, aggressive risk takers. And I, I see that we're kind of, we have highlighted that people maybe find themselves in this category who may not have otherwise found themselves there. But we wanted to obviously keep that consistent with prior years to give us a more reflective sample that we could then uh, do a little bit of analysis of ourselves. So there is going to be a slight tendency towards risk in the numbers through that. But at the same time, I think the actual growth in the number of uh, aggressive risk takers, like we're talking about double on last season and uh, quite a substantial increase as well on the season before that is definitely material. And I don't think that's just to do with uh, the time that we've taken this. And I think what we'd actually find with the extreme risk takers is a fairly similar pattern emerging as well in that uh, we have 13.5% of our respondents to this poll fell into that extreme category who have taken uh, more than 15 hits. And that's an awful lot more than previous seasons, as I said as well. That's about double last season, which was six, and uh, a bit more than the season before that as well, which was 10%. No, I mean, we actually got um, quite a few managers who said, it's my first season for this one, more than I can remember getting in previous years. For example, FPL Egan, Egan, Egan. How do you say it, Anthony? Is this like John Egan? Egan, Egan. FPL yeah. Egan. <laughs> Ryan, God, another one. I'm glad he didn't say his name was FPL Matt D. Um, so he's taken 15 hits. And he said that's mostly down to inexperience from it being his first proper season. However, he said most have paid off. And he's at 250k, which he's happy with. Um, he says, I like to be super aggressive. Um, Ed FPL at FFFS Ed, Ed uh, said, I voted. I've taken so many hits, I lost count. I asked him, why? Why did you do that? Is it Hell Mary's? Is it something like that? And he said, a lot of the moves I've made are beyond reason. Fair enough. And our friend FPR Raccoon Rishi says he's taken 17 hits this year. But he said most were early season. So similar to what I said before about people kind of moving towards that game week 16 uh, wildcard. He said he was trying to clean up a mess, basically. He says he's taken seven hits since game week 12 and he's gone from 3 million to 280k. So yeah, an upward trajectory of the old trash panda there. So yeah, very, very good. Um, so I guess these sort of, like in contrast to the rest of the group, these sorts of people are those who are going to be high rollers at a casino who are going to have as many wins as they are going to have losses. They're not going to be interested in sort of safe investments, as Nick would put it. They'd be there, you know, betting on contracts with different spread betting, doing all this sort of crazy stuff. Um, Extreme risk takers, Nick, can you ever understand them? Do you just think they're just mad individuals? I, w- I wouldn't describe them as mad individuals. I think that, you know, th- these kind of guys perhaps they 
by by GME at two hundred and fifty dollars. I, I don't know, but um, I think certainly you know they, they don't really care too much. You know, they're willing to just take a hit week in week out. It's more yeah. about the gross points rather than the net points to a certain extent. Trying to stay ahead of the curve and. Uh, Sometimes it can work out, as you said, from Rishi, uh, Rishi's perspective. He, he's really gained rank in, in recent weeks. So there's certainly some rhyme and reason sometimes to taking hits week in, week out. And then and when you're kind of in this sort of scenario, you can really experiment with some interesting characters as well. You could bring in the likes of Bamiyang, you know, throw him into the table. And then if he if he doesn't do anything, as which has kind of been his season to a certain extent, you can go straight out the next week and, and test it on another player like Sterling. So you kind of play, I can see a lot of rewards, a lot of upside to, to sort of chasing some differentials to a certain extent. If it pays off, then it can be excellent for you. But we have seen, um, you know, we haven't got too many examples of people who've taken this many hits that have a sort of a top 100k rank. So there is a certain detriment to, to this kind of extreme strategy, so to speak. Yeah, I feel like there's... Um there's maybe like extremes and there's extreme extremes, you know, there's, there's chasing like a game week rank every single week. And then there's taking an awful lot of hits to try and chase an overall rank. And those are two very different types of extreme risk taker. And it'd be kind of interesting to almost see a breakdown of those within the numbers that we even have here. But, you know, but by and large, that like, as you say, guys, like these are people who are really, really chasing like severe upsides with their transfers and, you know, it can work out, as you say, and it can go, you know, horrifically badly just because of the sheer volume of points that are being deducted from your score before you even start. Um, yeah, with this. No, exactly. No, I, I guess one good point, and I want to make it, but I tried to make it like unpatronizingly as possible. Uh, some, some of the Claret FPL of Bonus Pints pod um, said that he, you know, he takes a hit every week, just have fun with it. And sometimes that is something which is undervalued in what we do and what we say. Because obviously, you know, we, we do take our analysis seriously and we talk through it very seriously, hopefully with a bit more jocularity um, than we did in the beginning, uh, thanks to the Irish infusion, perhaps. Um, but I think, you know, that is sometimes undervalued as a reason to take hits, you know, to bring in like sort of Bamiyang has been mentioned I'm not sure about it. it'd be fun but there you go uh, but bring in sort of you know, that player every week just to give you a bit of sparkle about your game rather than sitting there and just kind of thinking oh you know this one there's a week so I'm just expecting a grey arrow or a red arrow so I'm trying to tread water and hopefully get through it and maybe that should be something that should be said about these guys that maybe they're just having fun and maybe that is why we have we had a notable amount of first-time managers who are in this group because you are having fun. And that's a great thing when you get old and bedraggled like we are. And perhaps uh, things may have uh, changed a little bit. Old, bedraggled and doubled up on City's defence. Exactly. Uh, tripled up on Fulham, perhaps, double game week. <laughs> oh, how far things have fallen for us. So, have we learnt anything from talking about the typologies? Like, you think about where you sit in all of these, um, just to go through them again. Uh, if you are a cautious risk taker, 0 to 4 hits, 0 to 16 points uh, burn. If you are a moderate risk taker, like these guys, uh, 5 to 8 hits taken, 20 to 32 points burn. Um, if you are like me, an aggressive risk taker, 9 to 14 hits taken, 36 to 56 points burn. Or above that, fire starter effectively um 15 plus hits taken 60 plus points burnt um have we learned anything about talking about these typologies do you reckon it helps managers to kind of gauge their own behavior and help them kind of think further about how they can improve or maybe whether it kind of tells them something about their own personalities anthony i think the most uh, interesting thing looking at this typology is comparing it to other seasons how we see that for sure 
manager's uh, approach to taking hits is very much responsive to the season that we've seen in compared like when we look at the fact we've had so many blanks so many doubles there's all the COVID things that have gone on these like sudden injuries that have just wiped out squads and caused all sorts of headaches for FPL managers we definitely see that borne out in the transfer data and borne out eventually in the hits as we've seen from our respondents this year with all of the increases basically in all of the more risk-taking categories and even more so than the cautious no longer being the majority. Yeah, that's definitely true. Like, I think it's been really fascinating to see that, as you said, the shift in behaviour. Um, I'm always really fascinated to see how the community, uh, this is the, the FPL Twist community, of course, reacts to the situation that's in front of them, the concepts they have to operate in. And as you said, it's been just remarkable to see some of the big shifts, um, especially you know in terms of the, the more aggressive level of things um you know i can't get over the fact that the nine to 14 point hits season on season has risen by almost 300 percent. that's that's just that's just amazing really yeah you're 50 percent up on the season before that as well so it's like you know substantial jumps amazing um, and then twenty hits for the first time in three years i mean obviously we've got limited data set we do have over three thousand votes um well around three thousand votes for the last couple of years and almost two thousand votes the first year so there are quite it is kind of quite a quantitatively robust sample we're not just looking at like 200 people um so we do have kind of a range of managers here and it's, it's really fascinating to see as anthony's mentioned and i'm just kind of echoing really the the progression uh, from quite a cautious way of playing fpl to as i said with the unique circumstances this year um getting into being how we are it's very interesting to see people sort of moving towards more aggressive strategies whether it's caused by the circumstances specifically of this year, of course, but if it's a growing trend season by season, that's also occurring as well. Yeah, and one thing I would actually encourage managers to do is to, if you remember responding to this poll in previous seasons, just do a quick Twitter search, you'll find the polls quite easily, and to maybe compare your own data uh, year on year. Everyone who's responded has actually been quite consistent year on year, and last year we had a, it was very instructive to compare people between seasons, like specific managers. And I think if uh, all of you who want to you know, really evaluate what you're doing could do that. And I would really encourage you to do that. It's just an easy Twitter search and you'll find them all there. Um, but that definitely brings us up to the break. It's been a really interesting conversation, guys. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League code is cpsolf if you want to join and yes there's been a few changes actually in terms of the league a few new names that haven't seen before but in um in fifth and everyone actually in our uh, top 10 bar one captain bamford so it's so very same in terms of the captain picks as well but but in uh fifth it's, it's nicola he, he got 85 points this week the only one in the top five as well to take a minor source perhaps avoiding the wild card there great score uh but sort of overall points now 1740 but um a new sort of entry i guess to the top five it's ryan hobbs with hobbsy's heroes got brilliant score of um, 91 points again captaining bamford uh, but the the highest score i can see in terms of the, the top 20 so that's, that's a great score for this week in um in third it's victor sandberg with uh, 78 points um but uh falling down to second though is ben connor with uh connor man fc 
But um, a new number one in the league is uh, Ryan Longstaff uh, with Wakandan Wanderers. He's been around for a little bit in the top 10, but uh, got 90 points this week, which is um, another really good score for him. Just absolutely smashing it. Overall rank 94, according to the website right now. So, yeah, excellent score there. Just the usual suspects doing the business, I guess, isn't it? Um, Dallas, 17 points, of course, huge return there. But also the double Burnley defence doing the business with Pope and Tarkowski, your friend Stag, um, also, and, and Maguire and Concello and Stones, of course. Um, so clean sheets all round for him. Uh, so great score there, Ryan. Yeah, people really flying out there in the mini league. And I guess that rounds off that particular section and brings us on to the listeners' questions. Uh, the first of which has, uh, talking about BB, our bench boost options. And that comes from, are you blind for Foxake? Uh, who asks us to rattle through the bench boost options per position. And we also got a lovely limerick from uh, Dave CZFPL, who was asking about Defender. Yep. So um, obviously uh, we're here to talk about the big thing, uh, which is the double game week coming up, double game week 26, as I mentioned earlier. It is the biggest double game week, I think, that we have ever seen, according to Ben Quellen, in FPL history. Linked, I guess, as well, uh, maybe we should just combine it and just have a big uh, double game week blowout here at the beginning of this section, is a question about forward planning. So FPL Dosa um, asks, you know, about strikers and wants to know which four we'd highlight for the next five or six weeks. I think that'll be covered off here very nicely. FPL Tiger says, is Kane worth buying him for double game week? Again, that will kind of be covered in this question. And from the pod, FPL Elf um, says he was certainly getting Watkins uh, for double game week, uh, but he's now hesitating in light of the Greenish injury. So, um, I guess let's do some kind of wrestling uh, to begin with, shall we? Uh, in goal, I think that oh, if you are looking for double game weeks, both of them, um, I think Martinez and Ariola, those are the two, aren't they? They're both in the top three for XG prevented this year. And um, I mean, the solidity of Asimov's defense is under question. I think Martinez's uh, ability to keep goals out has been the thing which has been the difference between, you know, I'm thinking about the, the Bryson performance, for example them conceding basically and not um, and Nariola for Fulham as well has been putting on similar heroics although both defences have been fairly solid throughout the course of the season and um, they've got okay uh, double game weeks um, so Ariola has got Crystal Palace away Palace at the moment uh, well, um, beat Brighton with two shots and Bryson had about a million uh, so yeah, nice work Potter um, and then um, Ariola's also got uh, Tottenham at home um, and Spurs have famously uh, not been that great against low block that's what Parker does indeed employ and similarly Martinez has got Leeds away and Sheffield nice away but overall of course season I'm, I'm finding very difficult to look past those goalkeepers yeah yeah I don't think we're gonna challenge you at all there to be honest Tom in terms of the goalkeepers they probably seem like the best best picks I think obviously Nick Pope's another option out there but he's actually got a tougher double with Spurs and Leicester anyway and also he costs a little bit more 1.1 million um, and it's also worth highlighting as well that Martinez and Ariola both have a game in 29 so if you wild card and, and get um, a double game week goalkeeper in for this week you don't have to worry about a goalkeeper in 29 which is very important as well so I guess um, I guess we'll move on to the defence. Um, so there's a few options actually out there. We had a question about the really cheap um, defence that you highlighted from, from Dave, I think, about sort of the 4.4 million um, defenders. And, and, you know, I think I actually quite like um, some of the Aston Villa picks out there. Um, I think El Mohamedi perhaps is a interesting one if you are looking for someone specifically under 4.4 million just because Matty Cash is injured at the moment so he will be filling that role and it's um, a really cheap way of sort of covering the defence to a certain extent otherwise of course you've got 
the Manchester City picks, but I think we're all kind of, you know, talk them to death a little bit. Some of you, you know, the attacking underlying stats. Concello is very impressive. He got 6.1, but um, John Stones is also a, a relatively decent cheaper option at 5.1 million or 5.2 now. So we did see a little bit of rotation with the centre-backs in the last double game week. So we can't necessarily guarantee that from Pep, which is always a bit of a concern. And the other one I quite like as well, who's, who's um, in my team, is, is Luke Shaw. So he, he's posting some really nice attacking stats over the past few weeks. Uh, and then even though he blanked for me, like he came in on my wild card and just got the two points, unfortunately. He did um, create five chances, which was um, the second highest for this particular week. Only um, Rafina uh, created more chances. He created 10, um, you know, massively impressive. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, so I, I really like Luke Shaw, sort of around that five million mark, uh, sort of a, quite a, another relatively cheap way to, to cover the defence as well. And a few other additional options, I'd probably nominate Tony Rudiger as a, a cheap op- a cheap option in there. But I guess um, Dave specifically was looking for a very cheap defender. And I might as well read, because he, he sent us a limerick, so I might as well read the limerick, which is how he posed his question. Can the pod help in my hour of need with my transfer for next week? A defender, 4.4 or under, who's the best doubler in the league? And to that, I say Kyle Bartley, actually, um, to fit the the parameters that he has set for us. Um, West Brom's fixtures, I think, are quite good with that uh, Brighton game, who we know can't score. And I'm, you know, Everton, I think there's it's become a little bit uh, vogue to think that Everton's attack is particularly brilliant. But um, I'm not that excited by them, having been extremely disappointed by DCL only a few short weeks ago. And so I think Kyle Bartley is quite a good option there. He's a very, very cheap defender who also has a double option. Otherwise, it's quite hard to uh, disagree with all the options you put forward, Nick. I think that you pretty much rounded them off quite nicely. Cool. I, I think there may be a couple of other kind of options in there, but they are. we are looking at kind of, you know, I guess marginal sorts of teams here. Um, so over the last few weeks, for example, um, Fulham have been showing up in the lower half of the table in terms of SGC. Um, they've got, as I mentioned, there's a couple of decent games in double game week. Um, I had Ola Aina this week, um, who hasn't blanked in the last three game weeks, for example. Um, he's 4.5. Uh, he got eight points last week, so it shows that he is in the bonus um, if they do keep a clean sheet. As Anthony mentioned, Rudiger just looks a, a mainstay for Tuchel. And he's, he's just a great option, I think, over the course of the end of the season. If he does keep that place, we don't know to what extent Tuchel is going to be keeping that team together or at least kind of having mainstays within that team. He's notorious, which is exactly what we need as FPL managers, uh, for rotating a lot. I think the main thing underpinning most, if not all, uh, teams is going to be that Man City defence. And, and it's still the same. We've waxed lyrically about them for the last, three, last few weeks, or even maybe even longer than that. But over the last six game weeks, you know, three big chances conceded. And so they've conceded half a big chance basically every game, which is just just mental, uh, really, really is. I think that you're going to have to swallow a bit of rotation there. So I've got Cancelo and Diaz. I think most engaged managers are going to have two of these guys. As they mentioned as well, Stones uh, being rotated against his old club Everton. You are going to just find that there's no way of guessing who's going to be playing week to week. You're not going to be able to find any rhyme or reason with Guardiola. I found that this to my chagrin, you know, linking back to the previous discussion, one of my big hits this season was removing Carl Walker for Cancelo when Walker didn't play in the midweek game. So I thought, yeah, he's nailed on to play. Cancelo did play the midweek game and then suddenly Walker wasn't in the squad without an injury. It was just the fact that Pep fancied Cancelo to continue and that's happened since. Moving on to midfield. I myself am running with the big four 
Bruno, Salah, Son and Gundogan. I think that that at the moment, okay, you know, Salah blank this week and those people who are very triumphalist about that and I frankly left him in as I said last week and for a for mental health reasons effectively. Um, but I mean, I reconcile that with what I watched, which is that he was a bit peripheral to the game. So if you don't own him, I think you can hold on to that. However, there was a one brilliant save from Pickford where Salah had a chance about five yards out. I mean, if he'd scored, this conversation wouldn't be happening, basically. And same with Son. I mean, he was completely peripheral with West Ham. Um, but at one point, you know, the ball deflected off his off his foot, didn't it, and hit the post with uh, with uh, Fabianski completely beaten. Um, but I assume, as we saw in the market forces, that you know, um, Harvey Barnes is going to be the one people are most interested in, um, maybe with Madison if he is fit alongside. Yeah, Madison had a little bit of a knock, which might put a few managers off. But um, we don't know if he necessarily be fit or not. But certainly Harvey Barnes, we, we saw um, in the market forces how much attention he was getting. And it's just, you know, his, his last few performances have been absolutely excellent. He's certainly one that I'm, you know, regretting not having in my side. I've actually got the same midfield as you, Tom, the big four, as you, as you put it. And I think those guys are going to be key elements in, in most of our wild cards and we, we've probably waxed lyrical about some of these assets uh, far too much in the past so there's not too much to say apart from you know they're, they're worth the money so on perhaps would be the one if you are thinking about going against the grain to a certain extent and, and targeting someone else like Barnes that perhaps would fall out of those you know fall out of the team and you could perhaps even Go for someone like Raheem, Raheem Sterling as well as an, another option if you are looking for an alternative pick. I think certainly in, in the cheaper market, um, Adamola Lookman is, is one perhaps that's caught a few managers' eye. Um, and I think one perhaps you, you're thinking of targeting yourself in, in te- Tom, in terms of the sort of the double game week. Um, you know, Fulham have a couple of okay fixtures, but Lookman's underlying stats have been pretty impressive. He's, he's performing in the top 10 for goal attempts over the course of the season. and, and for midfielders and then top 10 for chances created as well so you know he seems to be the sort of the Fulham talisman so to speak so far um, and uh, yeah very very cheap as well at 5 million as well so perhaps a, another sort of cheap bargain around that sort of Suchek price. Yeah maybe just to throw in a, a few more names into the giant soup that we're putting together here I think I would definitely be pro Barnes over Son and that was something I was talking about in the different wild card that I kind of presented in last week's episode while you guys were going through yours I just think his stats are just particularly good and he's a a nice way to break away from what I do see as a very solidified core midfield that people are going for but I don't feel like it's a particularly big risk um given his fixtures uh in the current and his current run as well I just you know he's Tom may not think he's a, may think he's a headless chicken, but I think his finishing has been pretty on point lately. So I would um, I trust him in that regard. Um, I do think that there's one option in there that maybe could be tossed in, and some might see this as a risk purely because of the team and the manager that he has. But Mathis Pereira at 5.4 million has been really really good on the eye, especially if you're watching yeah, West really Brom has. game. Yeah. And I found myself watching all 90 minutes of West Brom versus wow. Burnley the other day. Yeah, I genuinely with, with two defend, you had def- defender on both sides. I had, I had, yeah, I had, I had, yeah, I had Sam Johnston and I had Tarkowski, and I was sitting there hoping nothing happened for the whole time. And the biggest threat to that hope was Mathis Pereira. He was everywhere. The man's electric. He's taking shots. He's on freeze. He's, oh really I was just I was actually really impressed I hadn't sat down and put myself through uh, 90 minutes of West Brom punishment in quite some time especially in a game <laughs> where they were not the whipping boys let's say where you know this was a team yeah, where West Brom, yeah. West Brom or this was a game where West Brom were very much in it 
Yeah. And it was Mathis Pereira that was very much in it. And this was a West Brom down to 10 men, remember, as well, for quite a lot of the game. And it didn't matter to Mathis. He was just there going through them. So going through uh, the that Brighton, oh, those Brighton players, like, sure, yeah. Like, he's a, low, he's a low XG shooter anyway. So, you know, the fact that Brighton just don't concede much XG, see, like, doesn't matter. And then Everton, like, what is, like Everton always concede. So um, I think he's a pretty decent option in there if you wanted a differential. And he could, you know, conceivably be your fifth midfielder um, with that price. And so I don't think he should be discounted. I mean, we we didn't mention Everton um, I, in the defence. And, uh, you know, I think that and we, that's... And we were so right. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's for a reason, isn't it? Because of that sort of... Uh, they're very untrustworthy, aren't they? But they do have Southampton at home and West Brom away, um, which brings them the likes of, you know, of my keen uh, classic Nick signing if there ever was one and Luca Dean um, to the conversation in defence in midfield I'm not sure you would bet on Hammers you know, the guy with drawn off six one minutes who just can't sprint can you let's face it maybe it's just too cold for him I don't know um, wow that was such a such a Brexit point there um, but if you move towards the attack I think that you know we to answer kind of that the, the, the raft of questions about the attack um, Calvert-Lewin is probably the one that most people were going to be kind of homing in on. And that was obviously one of the players who was riding high um, in terms of the transfers in, in terms of the market forces. And Everton themselves are riding high too. They've drawn 11 points to Liverpool now and having look at, looked at the actual league table for once. He's not quite recaptured his early doors form, Calvert-Lewin, but he's still got 36% ownership. And that is already rising. And there is that attractive double to come alongside a potential double game week uh, in game week 28 as well. So it's like one of those players that you're buying to kind of have that double in, in hand as well as having a double game week coming up. And to be honest, watching them, I mean, this week with um, Hammers running off um, Richarlison up front, yeah, okay, it, it, it did work very well against a hapless team they were playing in Liverpool. But I think when, when uh, Calvert-Lewin was brought on and, and the, kind of the whole band were back together, as we were saying a few weeks ago, I think this was the first week where I saw them all together and thought, yeah, you know what? Yeah, this, this could go really well. Actually, no, Hammers got taken off. Oh. So, yeah, him and him and Richarlison as well, um, just working him, as a partner. Him and the lads against Liverpool's 17th choice defence. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, there, there are no excuses, according to people who hate Liverpool on Twitter. DCL is kind of option two of the strikers. I think option one is Harry Kane. I mean, he blanked in the last game, but he passed the eye test audition, as, as I said on Twitter. And it really was an epic points dodge if you watched it. I mean, the stats in themselves were okay. Um, six shots, four in the box, only one on target. But I'd say two or three of those shots which were off target were occasions where, you, where you'd be expecting him to score or at least hit the target. And people were doing down Spurs, and obviously we I love to take the piss out of Spurs. But recent poor performances have been without Kane to some extent, and also against better opposition. Um, so over the last few game weeks, Liverpool, game week 20, Bouton, they were good. Um, Bryson, Ditto, but they used to be very, very good so up until last week when they lost four more together. So Joe Canalytics FC, uh, Chelsea, Man City and West Ham. And Kane was also absent for the, the Brighton Chelsea game. So I think he's a player who can who's going to definitely be coming back to the table. Uh, Burnley at home and Fulham away. Mm, you know, Spurs do struggle against teams who do set up to defend, but there we go. Um, but I think the third slot for strikers is where it gets interesting if you're bench boosting. Um, because Watkins is bossing the data at the moment. As Pat Elf's question, he's had the most shots in the box, the most shots on target, and the most shots over the last six. But no, Grealish absolutely hamstrung him. So he only had one shot versus Leicester. 
as Vardy, who stags in a wax lyrical about, but I'm interested. Um, so that kind of leads me to think about a couple of differentials. One, Timo Werner. Yeah, lol. Um, but he's got the top for XG over the last six games amongst forwards, fourth, fourth overall. Plenty of gone for the pain, and Chelsea's double game week of United and Liverpool isn't the sexiest, really. Um, one I do have on, in my team at the moment, so my money is on my mouth, is on the Pereira point, is Diagne. Diagne? Um, so um, I included him on my wild card because I noticed he was second for expected goal involvement amongst forwards over the last six and he's under 1% owned. I thought it was worth including him because West Brom have two win basically to stay up and he's the anointed man to bring the goals. Next three games are all at home, Bryson, Epson and West Brom and there's also Palace away. So that's a really, really nice next four. All will be slated by Allardyce to be winnable. What but- I like about Dian, actually, I think it's Dian, um, is how he seems to capable of creating chances for himself. Um, this wasn't something that I really captured watching highlights, um, but putting myself th- through uh, West Brom for 90 minutes certainly showed me that he's the type of player who can run at defenders, who can, re- you know, can really run at defenders and can really you know, get himself into positions to have, have nice, decent shots without necessarily needing a huge amount of build-up play from those behind him. And that's the type of striker you need if you're in a relegation scrap. Um, and you need someone to just kind of find that little bit of magic. And he has been posting good underlying stats. And like, you know, everything I said about Pereira in terms of the fixture being fixtures being quite preferable definitely applied to Dian. Yeah, I've been looking at a few cheaper differentials as well, because I'm possibly looking for a Bamford replacement to, to get another double game weaker in. And one I was actually looking at as well was um, was Josh Madger, um, sort of a sort of a 5.5 million punt as a replacement for Bamford. Um, obviously, we got a very small sample in terms of his Premier League experience, but you know he scored a brace on his debut, which is positive to see. He's sort of like a, a hero or, anti- or villain rather from the uh, the Sons Until I Die podcast. So his team's only apps to, to bring the guy in of course that season in League One I'm, I'm a look at his stats um, he scored 15 goals in, in 24 games but of course that was Liga, uh, League One even when he moved to Ligue 1 um, for Bordeaux um, first season six goals in, in 21 games and then this season he was, was only actually two goals in 17 games so you know that, that's not kind of the best um data to work with of course it not, doesn't create the, the best signs because the Premier League is a tougher league ultimately than Liga and he struggled there but you know great debut uh, perhaps another little differential as well for covering Fulham I think DCL represents a really really good option so I think it's worth highlighting just how good um, Everton's double game week is ultimately West Brom and Southampton and I did nearly have Holgate in my wild card actually going back to the defence but I decided not to because I thought the Liverpool game, he wouldn't get a clean sheet. Of course, he did get six points over, the, over my pick of Rudiger in the end. So that's a mistake, perhaps. But, you know, it's worth highlighting West Brom and Southampton actually um, have conceded the most goals out of all teams over the last six game weeks. Um, obviously, it's a bit of an anomaly with the Southampton 9-0, but it is just an interesting stat that this could be, you know, DCL territory. And he's perhaps one of my biggest fears for the wild card in terms of players I don't own now. But otherwise, um, going back to sort of the questions, I guess Watkins and, and Kane are both in my side uh, and I think they're, they're going to be key elements of my team. And again, it's that, it's that single game week in 29, not having my free hit. The fact that these guys have the double and I think they've got quite decent fixtures and they've got that single game week in 29 just really sorts me in terms of my longer term plan. Link to this, uh, FPL Quoker asked, 
if Rafinha or Rafin XA, as I christened him, is worth keeping hold of, considering the paucity of options around the price point. Um, I think we've mentioned Lookman as being a kind of example. Maybe we can widen this to single game week as within the double game week. And maybe, Anthony, this is kind of an area where you're shy because you've got a few of them, I guess, who are kind of in the mix here. Um, obviously, over the last double game week, Rafinha has been ridiculously good. If you watch him play, well, that guy's going to be at least very more, for much longer. Sorry, Leeds fans, but he's too good for that level, um, frankly. Um, but 1.98 um, XA, four big chances, and far and away uh, beyond everyone this week in terms of chances created. And just to the eye, that guy is really bloody good, as James Cross has been saying for many, many weeks. Um, but you know, this sort of player, I guess, is probably the epitome of the sort of player you want to be keeping, despite the fact there's a double game week, so you don't want to be kind of falling into the trap of getting rid of him because of double game week, right? Says Tom, who's going to be selling him to afford DCL probably. Anthony, what do you think about this and single game week is in general in double game week? Yeah, so I think with the Rafinha question, first of all, um, as someone who has both Rafinha and Bamford, it's actually Bamford who is going to be making way and Rafinha will stay. And part of that is, of course, because I can afford to carry him and I don't have to worry about um, 29 and I can just make my transfers as I go uh, because I have the free hit available. But I think a huge part of it as well is the fact that there are quite a few uh, striker double game week strikers that might be of interest to me at that low price point whereas that low price point midfielders like even as we ran through midfielders we weren't able to point to a huge number of them that you'd actually get that excited about and so Rafinha who is a player who could honestly he could score um, you know as he did this week really he basically did all his double game week scoring in one game he's more than capable of matching any of the double game week players and so I'm, I'm quite happy to keep him in my side with that in mind uh, but looking maybe more broadly at the double game weekers, or sorry, at the single game weekers more generally, I think like, you know, for example, your Brighton players, because they have that game in 29, I think an awful lot of managers will be probably better to try and keep them, especially Brighton defenders, just because whilst the Crystal Palace game was a hilarious anomaly, um, I do think that at least defensively, they're quite solid. Uh, your Leeds players in general, like I wouldn't be rushing to sell Stuart Dallas, especially if you've got value built up in him. Um, I think that, that it's not worth losing him when he has as high a ceiling as he has. And that has kind of been foretold or has proven true at, to the highest degree, I guess you could imagine in the double game week. But, you know, he's always had that in him and he's always getting forward and he's often playing in midfield. And this is something that, you know, with Dallas, I've been kind of talking about uh, for a very long time. Yeah, so I think I'm in a similar scenario with you. I've got a few single game weekers probably going to bench boost now. And I've got Dallas, um, Rafinha, Bamford and McCarthy as my single game weekers currently sitting on the bench. And, and certainly one of them is going to go and probably not going to take a hit. But based on Rafinha's performance, I've only owned him sort of one game week already fallen in love with the guy. It was just amazing to watch, wasn't it? It really deserves a much larger haul. And in terms of replacements, it's Lookman or Bust, I feel, I feel like, in terms of that price point. Of course, you could potentially look at Georgino as a 4.7 million, but I'm not really interested in him either. Um, so I think for him, for me, that guy stays in my team and hopefully he'll get some returns over the next few game weeks. Only cost 5.3 million. He's very, very cheap. Dallas, I've had since game week five, swapped him out for Luke Ayling that week, and that was one of my best decisions on the wild card. Really paid off compared to what I did with um, 
James Justin, who who sold, who left on that wild card, but Dallas definitely has delivered week in week out. And I've, as you said, Anthony accrued, accrued a lot of money in this guy as well. So I certainly can't sell him, and there's no one really I'm interested in the bench that he stays. So it's between sort of McCarthy and Bamford, and I guess I could do McCarthy to Ariola, but it seems like it's a lame move. And I'm, I'm actually was thinking about sort of play McCarthy next week for the Southampton double so it's certainly one thing I'm looking at so it might be Bamford I haven't accrued any money in this guy so I'm looking at sort of the, the Josh uh, the Josh Madger switch there perhaps as a a little bit of an interesting alternative move there but certainly I think going sort of back to the question I think you know there is a bit of a positive in options and there's certainly a case for owning single game weekers over doubles we've seen it with Southampton so many people sort of jumping on the Danny Ings train that could have kind of you know, had it shoot you know a little bit kind of rocky wasn't it with only the three points with him over the double and of course you know he likes Bruno Fernandez consistently outscoring as a single game weaker uh, consistently outscoring double game weakers um, regardless of what you read on Twitter so I think um, certainly there is a case for some of those single game week players that you mentioned Anthony. But um, we'll move on to the next question, which is about triple captain thoughts. So Giorgio Proferis um, asked us about Kane and if he's an option for the triple captain this week or whether the likes of Calvert-Lewin needs to be in the mix and whether there's any other nominees as well. Yeah, so it's, there's a, kind of, there are definitely quite a few clear options for the triple captain if people want to go that way in this coming game week. So I think really what you're looking at are potentially City players with them having West Ham Wolves at home. Perhaps Bruno Fernandes, if you felt like going that way with three or with two away fixtures, uh, Chelsea and Crystal Palace. But I think most of all, it is the Spurs guys, isn't it? Uh, with Burnley at home and Fulham away. Now, for me, I think the problem with all of these players is that um, with Spurs, I just fear them uh, not performing. And so, like, do I fear them? I don't know if I would trust them enough to put the triple captaincy into one of them if I owned them. Whereas I'm quite happy to make sure, though, that I have Kane into my side just to cover me and protect me uh, against him actually going large. I think, and I've said it earlier already, I do think he's the better pick over Son if I was looking at that particular triple captain pick. I just, it's... Unfortunately, the stats aren't going to be too helpful here because he's obviously been injured and something out and things. So I think what you're really looking at is just eye test more than anything. And what we saw in the last game, especially Kane's the one that's there. He's got his penalties as well. A decent pick. Um, looking at the other options that you have there, you're, you're looking at the City guys. Um, rotation is a fear. That's definitely part of it. West Ham haven't been bad defensively um, is also another side of it that they're not too plumb fixtures. But it is really the rotation fear is the biggest thing. Um with uh, players kind of coming back to fitness, you've obviously De Bruyne is back, uh, Aguero's even back. You just don't quite know what Pep's going to do, especially when there's European games on as well. And so, like, part of me would even be tempted to suggest that, you know, don't rule out the Man City defender triple captain if you feel that one of them is going to play the two games and, you know, just get the points, bank them, get them over with. And then there's Bruno Fernandes, like, look, you could do it any day. Um, so having a chance for him to do it twice uh, it seems like a pretty decent option to me he's just proven so reliable over the last what 13 months that he's been in England Yeah I do think there are quite a lot of decent captain options uh, this week so it'll be interesting to see um, some of the polls online how the effective ownership ends up outlining whether we're all going to be hiding behind the sofa um, even though we are Bruno Fernandes owners just because of that high effective ownership. And, you know, I don't think there's a, I don't think it's a bad idea to maybe even triple captain this guy or, 
or even triple captain like of Mo Salah or Son or Gundogan or someone like that. They're all options ultimately. I think for me, I feel like Kane is perhaps the best of the options. And of course, he didn't score in his last couple of games in the Premier League. So it is worth, you know, noting that as a little bit of a risk. Bernie and Fulham, they look like great fixtures on paper. But as was noted earlier in the pod, um, we've seen Spurs struggle to break down these kinds of teams. And, and they're not in the best of form, unfortunately, as a fan. So that is a little bit of a risk. But I do feel like he was a bit unlucky in the last game, as also highlighted earlier. You know, against Manchester City, he did blank, but nobody scores against Manchester City. So that's understandable. And West Ham, he did have six goal attempts to war inside the box and um, created a chance as well. Um, so, you know, was close to adding to his 11 assists um, so far this campaign. And um, if you people fancying the TC on Kane, it might be a, another... Mane, Sane, maybe Kane, historical failure uh, coming their way. <laughs> Another but, three um, pointer, yeah. <laughs> but you know, hopefully not, um, because it's he's going to be. My it's actually thing. worth reminding people how poorly Spurs did against both Burnley and Fulham earlier in the season, just maybe to illustrate that point a little bit more. Like they kind of Poxley beat Spurs and Poxley beat Burnley in game week six, having it was kind of the, the first disappointing performance that they had after the disappointing game week one performance and it was uh, San that bailed them out in that particular game. And then there was a one-all draw with Fulham not too long ago, actually, in game week 18, which was kind of one of the first games where you could verifiably say that things had really slowed down for them and yeah. the challenge started to come off the rails. Yeah, I think it's, it, if you look at, for example, uh, non-PEN-XG over the last six game weeks, I mean, you've got to be, you, you scroll for quite a while to get to a Spurs player. You really do. Not in the top 10, not in the top 20. Ooh, all right, we get the top 50. Ooh, all right. Oh, hmm. Is there one there? Yeah, okay, there is. Um, but I mean, for example, over the next few weeks, over the last six weeks, the top non pen XG, okay, X, uh, XG, okay, we start to look at Bruno Fernandes and stuff. The not top non pen is Raheem Sterling. Men's Bamford, who's got a single game week, so maybe we wouldn't be looking at him. Uh, Mo Salah, who most of the algorithms are bringing out as being the top guy. So Mikel Top Van, he's got Salah as top. Uh, FL Review has Salah as top. Has Salah as top option, and uh, Fantasy All Fix also has Salah as top option this week. Uh, in fourth, uh, Werner. Yeah, uh, top uh, fourth fourth top for uh, non penalty. Fifth is Watkins. Seventh is uh, Calvert Lewin. Okay, so all these players, players you're going to triple captain? Maybe. Okay, interesting. Um, but I think what's also interesting is team uh, XG, uh, which is what I'm going to just rattle through here a little bit. Because top of that, over the last four, no, no, I'm, I wear, I'm where I'm mixing things around, but I want to keep things extra sort of uh, tight, is Manchester United. Uh, Man United have the top expected goals at the moment, um, 8.69 um, over the last four. They're also the most shots on target, 32 over the last four games. Leeds, for example, the perennial shots on target guys are second with 26. Most of them have been, let's be fair, Bamford, Daisy Custins, the goalkeeper's arms. And beyond that is Man City, 8.52. So just below United in terms of expected goals. But with Man City, as Anthony mentioned, there's obviously that rotation risk. We're not going to go into that because that's fairly flipping obvious. Um, and below that is Chelsea, um, Brighton, who don't have their game week, Leeds don't have their game week. And Fulham, I mean, are you really going to be triple captain Lookman? I take my hat off to you if you're doing that. Um, I guess it's Bruno Fernandes looking at the most recent numbers because if you take into account the team performing as well as the individual performing, I guess there's that, there's that element, as Nick mentioned earlier, of that EO being so high uh, for that particular guy. 
um, that if you are triple captaining and you're in that scenario where you want that safety of a guy who's going to perform and we're looking at you know, Mo Salah, the 303 point season levels going to perform despite looking a bit crap when you watch, there's only one person, which is Bruno Fernandes. And I think there's actually, just to bring it in, segues very nicely into the end section, which is on correspondence week, Anthony, because it's all about that sort of semblance of FOMO, isn't it? And having your judgment impaired by the fact that FOMO is really important because you watch some of those Man United games. If Brun doesn't get any points, doesn't do anything, you'll be like, oh, actually, I'm not interested in this guy. But he's got this sort of gravitational pull towards points, doesn't he? And that brings in FOMO. And that kind of means that everybody who has ever said, oh, yeah, Bruno's not worth it, you know, he's overperforming, blah, 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 has genuflected, bent the knee, brought this guy in. And that really nicely links into what uh, we've been asked this week, doesn't it? Yeah, so definitely it is pertinent. And this email has come through to whogottheassist.gmail.com where you can get your correspondence, where you can make your points on previous pods, you can put forward your theories, you can ask us questions, sing us songs about FPL or get whatever you want in, basically. Uh, who got the assist at gmail.com is that email and Mladen has emailed us in this time around and so he goes with this hey guys greetings from Croatia and first of all a big thank you for making my life a bit interest a bit more interesting every week in these stupid COVID times I'm an old-fashioned guy in terms of social networking although I have followed the FPL Twitter community for the past few years the main reason is that I love FPL and I love to talk and listen about it from the moment I started playing in 2016-2017 I was more of an eye test guy. In fact, in 2018-19, when I didn't know what XGC or even FOMO were, I surely hadn't heard of Ben Krillin or you guys, I finished 6,623rd place, just watching a lot of football and making my own decisions. I'm not saying that the FPL community didn't improve my game and reasoning, on the contrary, actually, but I encountered a small problem. I became torn between my stubbornness and subjective eye test on one side, and FOMO usually connected with high ownership of top players that I was missing on the other. Then Mladen goes on to explain how he, this is by an email, by the way, in December, and thanks for waiting, Mladen, this long before we got to it, that Mladen in December planned to go most of this season without Kane and Son because he just didn't like Mourinho's style of play, and regardless of Spurs' fixtures, and even though their ownership could be scary. So with that in mind, Mladen asks us what we should do in these types of situations, in a standard situation where we're not chasing and where we're not defending a position. Uh, should we continue to play our own game and potentially shoot ourselves in the foot by not covering with at least one of them? Or should we just go with the tide and pick those players just because we need to? Cheers, Madden. So, guys, basically what this breaks down to is, you know, it's a very pertinent question on this week about, you know, what should we be thinking about doing with the out-of-sorts Spurs players that are coming into sides because they're so highly effectively, highly, they have a huge EO. And when it comes to the likes of Bruno Fernandes, especially, I think more importantly than ever, when he has a, an EO north of 100 every single week. So even if you own him, you're actually relatively losing rank even when he does well because so many people have captained him if you don't captain him. Yeah, I think we saw this over Project Restart, for example, where Bruno Fernandes has a, an average EO of 120% um, every week, which is just ridiculous, frankly. So it means that effective points, and go back to a pod a few weeks ago if you want to find out about this, the effective points against you, if you didn't captain him, were positive. So it meant that if you, even if you own him, he's still going to score points against your overall score. That's just that's just crazy. And he's now back at the point, as Anthony mentioned, where every week he's going to have 100% plus effective ownership. So to me, that leaves three options. And obviously quite obvious options, of course. The first one is to captain the player, you know, in all but the toughest games, 
Two is own, and it's a small red if you don't captain them. And three is don't own or sell. So you get big peaks if he blanks and big troughs if he shit houses, which he's going to do because he's been there Fernandez. Um, and in terms of, you know, this, the, the question Laden asks is a really, really good one. Um, often, really, when it comes to ownership, you have to kind of decide which is going to be which bandwagon is going to be one which is worth backing and which bandwagon is going to be one which is just a bit of a red herring. A lot of the time, ownership does corral towards a certain player because of for a reason, and that can be because they're scoring points. It can be because they look, you know, if, if they look bad when you're watching them, but they're getting end product, it doesn't matter that they look bad. It matters that they get the end product. So that's the difference between football, where a player can be a bad footballer but can get end products with FPL, which is that we don't really care about how good they are as a footballer. We care about them getting the end product. Think about, you know, a player like John Lundstrand, for example, because he was so cheap, it didn't matter that he wasn't the best footballer in the world. He happened to be out of position, happened to be getting points. And, you know, those weren't, you know, Danny Ying's style wrapped finishes with low XG from the edge of the area into the top corner. Those are, you know, tap-ins or whatever like that. At the end of the day, I think there is always kind of that element of FOMO. We shouldn't just kind of dismiss it as being, oh, you know, that's heard, blah, blah, blah. A lot of the time that exists for a reason, which is because that player is definitely a player who's going to hurt you in terms of fantasy football. Maybe that's me being kind of, you know, having a sense of fear about what I do um, because of, over the course of a few years, I've sold players, you know, like, like Mo Salah, who have then come back to haunt me. Or last few games, which I mentioned, I've had there's been high EO players who have hurt me. But I, I think that like, there's always a case for playing your own game, and of course, you're if you do that, you know, you're not going to be hurt by anything because you're like you can always say, "Oh, I play my own game. I was kept my convictions and etc. etc." That completely makes sense. But I do think there's an option, or at least there should be a consideration given to the fact that the herd, yeah, the, the herd can lead you astray at times. I think it's down to your judgment to kind of think, okay, this is a bit rubbish. I shouldn't be, you know, buying in Danny Ings for double game week because he's got an injury record. They've been a bit rubbish over the last eight or nine game weeks. And it's just the case that they've got double game week. That's why I'm looking at buying the same with the likes of Janet Restegard. I think it really is uh, something that should be kind of considered frankly and i really wish as i said on the on the pod last week and i've also said in the it, it, on twitter numerous times i really wish i didn't know what eo was and um, but it's something that needs to be respected and you know, maybe going back to the conversation a second ago about captains he should be this player that should be looking at the captain each week just because at the end of the day you can forget about captaincy it's not going to affect you too much you can kind of gain elsewhere in your team yeah, thanks for the question, Madden. I think you've, you've raised um, a number of personal points there in terms of Bruno. But I sort of going back to Son, I guess, and, and the question there about, you know, the herd, when you mentioned there the herds leading you astray, certainly with Son and Kane, perhaps the herd would have led you astray because um, if you'd avoided them sort of over the last eight game weeks or so, Son's actually only got one goal, one assist. So if you could ignore Son and Kane, um, it would certainly have been to your benefit over the past eight game weeks and gone for some of those other alternative picks. So I think certainly there is a case sometimes with effective ownership that you know it, it does have a little bit of a negative impact on our games because it does take a little bit of the joy, unfortunately, and it just creates a bit more of a fear factor, even over the players that you actually own on the side. But certainly, you know, 
it doesn't always mean that these are the right players to get. And you have to essentially make your own judgment with your own side and see what suits your team best. And obviously, with the case of um, Spurs, unfortunately, as, as a fan, the wheels have fallen off to a certain extent over the last eight, eight, nine weeks. And um, with assets like Spurs, Son and Kane, um, hopefully they'll switch it around because it's double game week. I own both of them this double game week. But um, you know, you'd have been better off not owning them over the past eight or nine weeks and owning other players as opposed to owning them. And you would have been ahead of the template in that respect as well. But of course, in the in the inverse, you know, sometimes when you ignore the players in the template, you can get heavily punished. And you know, I've taken a few risks recently with like Wilkie Gunderhan, who was in everyone's side. Unfortunately, I went for other players um, at Manchester City and it really, really damaged my rank just because when that guy got 80 points last week, that was a ginormous red arrow for me. So that represents the risk of when you try and be contrary and try and go for something a little bit different to what everyone else is doing and, and try and pick those differentials. It can have massive upside, but it can also have massive downside. It kind of links a little bit, I guess, in terms of the risk profiling we did earlier. If you're a gambler, if you're a high risk taker, then go for those differentials, those alternative picks. If you want to play it safe and easy, then, you know, captain Bruno each week and then just kind of let your team do its business. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I, I think it definitely links to the risk profiles more generally. And it was, it was interesting when Mladen asked the question, kind of looking for how we should consider these situations just from a standard position. But I guess that's nearly where it's almost impossible because you will always be chasing or you will be defending and you will always be someone who might be more risk prone or risk averse. And so with that in mind, I guess you are always playing your own game. And sometimes that game may correlate with that of the herd. And that's a decision that you make. But at the end of the day, you should take the decision that you think is going to get your team the most points and decide that way. Uh, that would be my recommendation anyway, Madden. But thanks so much anyway, Madden, for sending in that email. Really appreciated it. He sent it in December, so we it took a while to get around to it with all the short game weeks that we had, but we get there eventually. So he sent that to who got the assist at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, uh, poems, uh, addendums to previous pods absolutely anything guys it's a very versatile slot and we'll uh, get to it at some point so thanks so much yeah it's one of the pitfalls of launching a new segment in a crazy as crazy a season as we've seen um, but yeah I'm glad to see that it's still functioning at this point in the season yeah. absolutely flying Tom functioning Jeez, absolutely man. absolutely we're not we're not dredging December uh, records or anything right okay let's move on to transfers and captains and this week uh, so i think that we've probably given a decent enough indication of where we're going um but in terms of transfers and captains let's go with you first anthony what, what what's on your mind about here so bamford's going and harry kane is going to come in that's obviously a pretty big steep jump um so i need to find only 0.7 because i had so much in the bank to make that work and it is going to be the hero of the last two weeks, James Tarkowski, I think, who will make way to fund that. So he's obviously 5.3. So that um, just the way the values and stuff work out, that allows me 4.7 to spend on my next defender. Who will that be? I haven't decided yet. But of course, I don't need to pick a player that plays in 29 because I have my free hit. So that gives me a little bit more space. I think I'll probably go for a double game week player just because... Uh, be you know nice to be getting some of those points and protect myself more than anything uh, against others and so it could be Olaina for example that comes into my side I'm not 100% sure though the captaincy right now with Kane coming into my side I think is going to be on him 
but that's very protective of me and I may just end up going with Bruno Fernandes. I thought it was quite interesting though to see that Chelsea managed to lock out Atletico Madrid so comprehensively in the Champions League. Atleti have, they've dipped off in form a little bit in La Liga, but they've obviously been top of the league and doing quite well. And it was interesting to see Chelsea uh, doing more than fine in that environment in Bucharest. And uh, it just kind of makes me definitely pause for thought uh, that little bit more. But that Palace game, Fernandes could go particularly well as well. You're always just talking about penalties anyway, being a potential factor. Um, I'd say more likely than not, it'll be Kane. Okay. No, I'm, uh, I think I'm between Kane and Bruno uh, for my captain. Well, I, I just don't know. Like, I think it just... No, like, with Bruno, it kind of as I was saying earlier, the EO is so high now that if you do get into that situation where you can captain him, it kind of feels like you probably should just because you can get rid of the worry about captain every week and then go on from there. But you know, the other side of it is what we saw this week. So if you captain Rafinha above captain Bamford, then you made a gain. Um, so maybe it is the case that captain Kane's a good idea. It's just that I look at you know Burnley, look at Fulham, and look at the what I've watched from Spurs over the last few weeks, and just think. How are Spurs going to do against those two teams? Really? I'm a bit worried about that. I'm not sure whether that is worth captaining a player for those two. So it might be that I give it to Bruno Fernandes and it might be that I trust in their high XG and it might be that I trust in his high ownership. I'm not sure yet either. One thing's for sure is that the captaincy advice captaincy is swapping over between those two. In terms of the transfers this week, I'm probably going to have to make a decision tonight so by the time you hear this um because i've got perfect money to move um bamford and rafinha uh to calvert lewin and yeah a 4.3 which is smith row um and i'm probably going to do it just because i'm going to end up with 14 double game winkers plus smith row and the fact is that bamford and also rafinha are buyable again uh, whereas someone like Calvert-Lewin perhaps isn't viable again. Kane definitely isn't viable again. And I'm going to rely on the fact that the beauty of a Leeds, defense, Leeds team being so um, so cost-effective um, is going to help me out when it comes to game week 29 and I don't have a free hit. Um, so I'm likely to do that, which means I'll have four double game weekers plus Smith Rowe, who I'll be hoping for one point from. Uh, Nick, what about you? Yeah, so I've actually got the armband on Harry Kane. I'm pretty set and certain that he's going to be my captain this week. I think he's just got the best fixtures of them all. I know we mentioned that um, Spurs struggled against Burnley and Fulham last um, early on in the season, but he actually picked up 13 points in total over those two games, a goal and assist, uh, which is worth highlighting a pretty decent return, I think, for a double gaming captain, perhaps. Um, contrast, Bruno um, only got five points against Crystal Palace and Chelsea in the inverse uh, fixtures. And uh, if that comment helps reduce his effective ownership the next week, then that's perfect because I'm a little bit scared about him. Um, so please, Captain Kane, enjoy me. Um, in terms of my transfers, it's probably going to be Bamford and Josh uh, Bamford leaving and perhaps Josh Madger. Just a bit of a weird differential pick. So, um, yeah, fancying that perhaps as my moves. So cool. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We, of course, who got the assist. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next Thursday, which is after this Double Game Week 26. If you want to get any correspondence in, in the meantime, it's who got the assist at gmail.com is the email. Yep, um, we'll see you then. Um, all the best in the double. We hope we assist you. We think about risk profiles and how that may um, overall 
impact you as an FPL manager. We'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.